heaven. A long time has gone through our Earth's history and we're still here in this world and we're not clear on all the reasons why, but we do know that we want to understand more clearly the most precious message that you sent. I pray that you will give me your Holy Spirit to speak words today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm from Mount Shasta, California, and you can see from the screen that photo, the art of personal evangelism, is taken from the mountains near where we live, actually from our, our living room window. So, I just wanted to start with a recent event that took place. You're familiar with Notre Dame when it burned, and what a tragedy that was as we all saw that building hundreds of years old go up in flames. But as I was watching that, it made me think of how precious are the souls for whom Christ died. No sooner does one come to Christ than there is born in the heart a desire to make known to others what a precious friend he has found in Jesus. The saving and sanctifying truth cannot be shut up in his heart. And the value of the world sinks into insignificance in comparison to the value of one soul. Well, Seventh-day Adventists have been doing evangelism for a long time. Um, it, when we first began, there were camp meetings and meetings held in churches. Later, there were revivals and evangelistic meetings held, all with the purpose of sharing the three angels' messages with the world. Literature evangelism is another hallmark of Adventist evangelism. Around the 1890s, as the history has already been re in re re reviewed in some of our other meetings, there was a special series of meetings held in Armadale, Australia. And there the Lord said, let there be spiritual light to shine amid the moral darkness of accumulated error and fables and reveal truth. And the speaker for this event was W.W. Prescott. And the people thronged the tents and they came to listen and they were blessed by the messages that they heard. And what was unique about this series is that it was a little different than the other evangelistic meetings that had been held. Instead of just picking a topic and elucidating the scriptural foundations for that, he presented Christ and showed how Christ shone through all the doctrines. And this was thought to be a new way that we could present our message and it was very well received in Australia. Around that time, Ellen White wrote, and this on the slide here is just a summary of what I'm going to share with you now. The end is near, we have not a moment to lose. Light is to shine forth from God's people in clear, distinct rays, bringing Jesus before the churches and before the world. Our work is not to be restricted to those who already know the truth. Our field is the world, and the instrumentalities to be used are those souls who gladly receive the light of truth which God communicates to them. And she goes on to say, and every ray of light received is to be communicated to others. One interest will prevail, one subject will swallow up every other, Christ our righteousness. 
So that's what we hope today to comprehend a little bit of that message of Christ our righteousness, how it was utilized in our history, and now how it can be applied in our own lives and in our own churches. Well, that quote we just read was 1890, and we're still here 120 years, 130 years later. The church where we attend is a small church. We have between 20 and 40 people who attend on any given Sabbath, and um, there's not a whole lot of interest in doing public evangelism for a number of reasons. So for that, for that because of that, um, I started trying to think of what can I do, you know? Uh, sometimes we look and say, where's the famous person? Where's the big name? Where's the person who's a real leader who can do this? And then the Lord turns and says, well, what about you? And I know I'm not all of those persons, but the Lord does ask, what can we do? So before our most recent situation with the coronavirus, we had a number of programs going at our church. We had uh, community health programs, all kinds, diabetes undone, depression recovery. We had guest speakers and lots of cooking classes and we've, uh, over the years, assembled quite a list of people from the community who have come. But as we've done these programs, the question came to me, what is missing? Because it was easy to do the health programs, but in my heart, I thought we really need to be introducing them to Jesus. And sometimes we'd make a, a veiled reference to our faith, but we didn't often bring it out in the front as we were doing the programs with the thought, we don't want to push people away. So with that idea and goal in mind that I wanted to be more uh, overt about sharing Christ, there were several new opportunities that came up for us to share. One of them was to discover that we can have Bible clubs in local high schools anywhere in the United States. Many other churches do, but this was something that was new to me. There's a gentleman in Fresno who runs clubs there very successfully, and when I found out what he did, then I wanted to try and do the same in our community. So we checked with the local high school, we were able to secure a sponsor, there's a list of requirements in order to be able to have this club, and we started this, and it was quite exciting to me to get to go there and find that young people are hungry for the Word of God. And we actually uh, build it as you can come and learn what the Bible says about whatever your questions are. So we didn't necessarily set an agenda, although we were prepared to talk about what the Bible says about health for the first class, and it turns out that was the question they had. What does the Bible say about health? So we've had a, a nice group of young men that have been studying together. The challenge now, of course, is that the Bible cl club has been on hold along with other school things. So a little bit more on that in a little bit. Another thing we did was to start a weight loss support group. Instead of running a program that was already prepackaged, we started a, something like a round table or round, we would all sit in a circle so it wasn't like a lecturer was up front, and we presented, first thing, a Bible promise. 
and we would ask the people to share what that Bible promise meant to them. And the Bible promise had to do with what God is able to do to preserve you and to give you the strength to follow the path that he has, the best path for you. Then we would have a group discussion. We would share how things have been going through the week. And we would also have a science health message section in which we could share some aspect of weight loss. And I'll tell you in a nutshell, how to lose weight is to eat only two meals a day with only water between and have the meals early in the day, like breakfast and lunch, not lunch and supper. And that really works in a plant-based diet. So we were there to support people in making those changes and it worked. So we wanted to convey over and over the idea that God's plan is easy and his, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Another uh, ministry we've been involved in for several years is singing for hospital patients and hospice patients in their homes. That came about by us becoming friends with the chaplain at our local, high, uh, local hospital and she has just been wonderful in, in uh, working with us and providing that opportunity for us to be able to uh, share together and sing to the patients. Also, when we go and sing, they'll sometimes say, what church are you from? Because often it's not just the patients, it may be their families. And so it's a real privilege that we've had to be able to sing. Another thing we have the opportunity to do is that there's a, a, a cleanup crew in our town and they send out an email when they're going to go out and clean trails or pick up trash or uh, remove homeless camps. So we've gotten involved in going out and helping with that and it's been a lot of fun and another way to get to know our community. Another uh, thing we did was to have an amen free clinic in our church. Right now there are no free cl clinics happening anywhere I don't think. But uh, we did do that, and that brought a lot of people from the community to our church. And we were really um, very excited about that, and it provided some connections. So another thing that I did early on, once we were having the health classes, and there wasn't an evangelist or a pastor who could follow up with the, the Bible side, then I undertook to begin to start giving Bible studies. And over the years, I've learned a little bit, and I still have a lot more to learn. But it's been the joy of my life to experience sitting down across the table from someone or in their living room and sharing about the gospel, sharing the Bible, and seeing their faces light up when they catch something. And they'll say, oh, I never thought of that before. And to me, that is the mo that's what I kind of live for, <laughs> is to watch for that. Oh, it's so exciting and just thrilling. So this is one of the ladies that was baptized, uh, actually a couple of them, those are two different baptisms. And uh, once, uh, once they become part of our church family, they're just friends for life. And not everyone continues Bible studies, but I've been really happy to co continue friendship with everyone who I've uh, been able to participate with, or almost everyone that I've been able to continue contact with. So another ministry that um, we might take for granted, but it's at home, and I know that doesn't ever make the headlines what we do at home, 
but there's always bread we can give away and there's always people who are maybe from out of town or visiting might need a place to eat or a place to stay. So we've uh, certainly opened our home to our church family as well as strangers and neighbors with uh, all kinds of interesting outcomes, but it's been a blessing. So more recently, we've had a challenge, haven't we? Because the things that were once easy for us to do are not now quite as easy as they once were. The doors have closed for many of us to be able to meet together at all, or if we are meeting, it's under very different circumstances. So the question that came to my mind is, when COVID hit, I thought, it's time to get out of the cities. That came to my mind. Thankfully, we already are out of the city. It's time to grow a garden. I started thinking about the quotes where Ellen White says that there will eventually, it will eventually be hard to obtain food, and those who live out in the country will be able to easily grow their, or if they grow their food, their lives will be much easier than otherwise. Uh, it's another, t another thing that came to my mind was home missionary work would be even more important than before. As we're unable to meet in larger groups, then our home becomes more of a center where we can uh, reach people for Christ. Um, the virtual and online internet avenue for communicating the gospel is certainly um, everywhere. It's personally not my favorite because I'd much rather meet together with someone in person and I'm sure that's the case for us all. Uh, but it is a wonderful tool and that's why probably you're able to see the program you are today. It's because of that gift from God. Another sense I had with COVID-19 is that we are living in unprecedented times and there's a universal sense that things are on a different trajectory now and that we are seeing the final movements of Earth's history unfolding. I don't have a timeline or any secret uh, insight into how things are going to play out in the future more than what we've been told, but I do sense that finally the, the train is on the track and it's moving. It seems like we're not at the station anymore. So the question was, uh, what will we do to share the gospel? As uh, summer approached, I was impressed that we should plan an outreach for our church. Uh, we, th we thought there's a window of opportunity, what will we do this? We don't know how long it will last. Once our church was able to reopen, of course, we had to take precautions, and, uh, but we still thought if there's opportunity to do something, we will. So there was a quote that especially came to my mind. I wish to tell you that soon there will be no work done in ministerial lines, but medical missionary work. Well, we might have been familiar with that before, but this came to mind in a new way. Why would it be that there would be no work done but medical missionary work unless everyone is sick? Well, or a lot of people are sick, so. That is something that seems like maybe, it's certainly the norm now and it may be more in our future, to be prepared to know what to do. So I had been wanting to have a prayer partner, someone to pray over these things with outside my family. Of course, I appreciate praying with my husband and, and our children when they're home. But I, a friend of mine at church, she's like-minded and uh, both of us enjoy planning and praying and asking God how he would lead. So we began praying together.
And uh, the Lord says that classes for whom we had not planned to labor and in ways and places we had no idea of working, that there is missionary work to be done in those places. And the Lord has his plan for the sowing of the gospel seed. And sowing according to his will, we shall so multiply the seed that his word may reach thousands who have never heard the truth. So we have been praying together that God would lead and show us what he would have us to do in our plans. So the question is, why do we want to do this in the first place? That is a question. And the Bible tells us that the love of Christ constrains us. And you know, if it's not the love of Christ that's motivating us, this kind of work can be very hard. And even if it is a love of Christ, we can wear ourselves out, and God doesn't desire for us to do that either. So there's balance. His yoke is easy and his burden is light, but he has called us to try and minister as best we can to the souls around us while there's opportunity. Paul was convinced that if men could be led to consider the amazing sacrifice made by the majesty of heaven, selfishness would be banished from their hearts. So Paul also, we're told that if Paul thought if people could just have one, chance, one look at the cross, the world would lose its hold on them. So as we are laboring for others, we want to remember that if they can catch a glimpse of Jesus, that will be a very strong pull for them to come to him. Paul himself, this is the kind of thing he went through for Christ. It says he was five times, he was 40 stripes minus one, lashed. He was beaten three times, stoned, shipwrecked three times, one day in the sea. That must have been without a um, flotation device, but maybe he had a log. <laughs> Uh, sleeplessness, robbers, cold and nakedness, hunger and thirst. Really, have we sacrificed much for Jesus? I don't think so, but Paul just rejoiced. He was, it's not that those things are fun, but it was for the joy of winning souls, and it was all all right with him. So as, our, as my friend and I continued to discuss what we would do next, we came up with an idea to do, it was really more my friend's idea, to do a natural remedies and hydrotherapy class. We thought that would be fitting for right after COVID or during COVID, we're still in it. So we printed up these flyers and shipped them to mail the mailboxes of four towns in our area, as well as doing advertising in the newspaper and our email list and Facebook and uh, we just did everything we could, doctor's offices, to let people know this was gonna happen and they were to call or text to RSVP for this class. So it was gonna be a Monday through Thursday and this was just not too long ago we did this. And here you can see we had our sanctuary, we pulled all the pews out and we got it all set up for social or physical distancing. And then the program went on and some of the aspects of the program included um, herbal therapy and hydrotherapy, including fomentations, hot and cold, showers, foot baths, gardening, Bible, plant-based cooking and health samples, liter and a liter literature table loaded with books, some free, some for sale, free books also given away every night, and an appeal at the end of the week, would you like Bible studies? 
So my friend really organized and pulled this whole thing together. She's very organized and it went very smoothly. And my job was to share about the Bible. So I wanted my talks to integrate with what was happening in the rest of the program. So on the first night, I introduced leprosy, the world's first and longest lasting disease pandemic. I think it's probably been going for about 3,500 years, although now there's a treatment for it, but for thousands of years, people have suffered with leprosy. So I uh, continued to talk about leprosy in the Bible and what it causes, and it's also transmitted through water droplets, through talking or sneezing. So then I started to talk about the ancient treatment for leprosy. It goes back to the days and times of Egypt. Israelites, apparently that's, they must have had leprosy having come out of Egypt. So that's when the Lord began to explain to them what they could do to stay well. And in Leviticus, we find that God gave them um, specific rules about what to do if they had some kind of a lesion on their skin and there was additional instructions that interestingly if if there was something found that was suspicious they would isolate for seven days and then the priest would re-examine them and if it was still present they would isolate for another seven days and then the patient could either wash his clothes and be clean or if it was spread after cleansing uh, he would be seen again and he would be pronounced unclean and might even be banished from the camp. So that was my introduction to uh, a pandemic from the Bible. So then the next night I told a story. In Israel, there were uh, several cities of importance, one of which was the Lachish. This is a modern day photo of the Tell that's where there are layers and layers of destruction where armies would come through, wipe out a city, and then burn it to the ground and they would build another one on top. So that's what this is, this mound. Maybe it was a mountain, but then cities built on top. So Lachish was a biblical city. The Assyrians came to Lachish and they demolished the city and they took captive many of the Jews, the families, and this relief that's found today it's still in existence. The Syrians went back and they did these elaborate reliefs and uh, paintings to show how, what their exploits, they would even fillet the people, peel off their skin while they were alive. It was very tortuous. So we don't know whether Little Maid was from Lachish, but we do know she was captured by the Assyrians who did this terrible thing in, Luki, in Lachish. We don't know, but that she may not, she may have lost her family, her parents may have been killed. All we know is she appears not as a victim, even though she was kidnapped and enslaved. She decided she had the faith of Jesus and she decided to overcome evil with good and she wanted to demonstrate God's agape love for her enemies. So when her master came down with leprosy, she didn't think, oh good, finally, God is getting revenge. No, she wanted to do something to help. So she told him about the prophet in her home country, and you know the story of how Captain Naaman, at first, when he was told to go and wash in the river Jordan several, seven times, he was not excited. He was indignant that God would have him wash in that dirty river. 
That's how the children's book tells it. But we find that God's remedies, his natural remedies are humbling, free to all, and simple. And that's the gospel. God doesn't charge us for his blessings. He's made them abundantly available and he doesn't choose only certain people that can have access. He's made these available to all and they're humbling. There's nothing that Naaman could be proud about. I just dunked myself seven times in the River Jordan. No, that was not something to be proud of. So that was one way I, I wanted to communicate the gospel through a story. The next night was on poultices and charcoal. So I thought about the story of Hezekiah and how he got sick. And we told about how Hezekiah begged and pleaded with the Lord, please heal me. And God in his mercy, he, he just, he's, has a, we would say God is a softy. <laughs> he loves to hear and answer our prayers. And he said, Hezekiah, I will give you 15 more years, but you go and you make this poultice with figs. So that's what they did. Hezekiah got well. Then there was another story of poultice, which I thought of. It wasn't exactly a poultice, but during his ministry, Jesus devoted more time to healing the sick than to preaching. And I wanted to lift up Jesus as the healer of our bodies, our minds, and our souls. So there was a story in John chapter 9 of the blind man that Jesus healed. And you remember, he didn't just say, be healed. He spat on the ground and mixed the clay in his hands and applied that to the gentleman's eyes. And then he instructed him to go and wash in the river, which he did. And we find again, the man's sight was restored. He didn't even know who Jesus was. So Jesus doesn't have a requirement that you have to do something in order for God to work. He just loves to bless and hear and answer our prayers. So again, we find his remedies are humbling, free to all, and simple. Well, I thought, what will I do for the last story of the night? Because there's times when God doesn't answer our prayers. And that's how I positioned it for these folks. I said, you know, you may have had someone you love that you prayed and you asked God to heal them and they died. I said, we've all had loved ones who've passed away. They're no longer with us. How do we feel? And how does Jesus feel? And we pointed out that the story of Lazarus, in that story, Jesus wept. Then I said, you know, when you weep and when you lose someone you love or when you're really struggling, Jesus weeps with you. He's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He loves you and he understands your feelings and he draws closer to you with his arms of love than any person that you know on this planet. Jesus loves you so much. So it was for a purpose that Jesus permitted this to happen with Lazarus so that he could give us hope. And I went, read through the story about how Lazarus was not dead but sleeping and then Christ said well he is dead but in a way we could also communicate that in the future Lazarus will be raised again because although Jesus healed him he came forth from the tomb Lazarus died again so that story especially gives us hope of what Jesus uh, is planning for restoration the true healing we will have when he comes again well the outcome from our series that we had was as follows. 
Literature was flying off the table. People were so thrilled to get the literature. They were just taking it. Some was for sale, like books, and some books we have trouble giving away. People were buying. And then we, uh, my friend also had lots of fomentation pads made with wool fabric, and so people were buying those. I think we might have sold maybe as many as 50 of those fomentation pads. Three people signed up for Bible studies, we had two guests attend our church the following Sabbath, and when I saw them, I went up to them and I invited them home for Sabbath dinner. And I prayed that God would multiply the loaves and fishes <laughs> because I was planned for, planning for a certain number, and then I all of a sudden had, uh, it ended up being, I think, eight more people than what I had planned for. But God is good, and our, and our house guests that were with us that weekend, they were very understanding, and the, and the food stretched, and fortunately, I always have lots of bread, so if you're all, anyway, it, it, it came together. So my observations are that people are hungry for fellowship. They're also afraid, and they want to know what the Bible says. That's specifically in the time right now. Certainly, people are experiencing other things as well, but they do want that connection. We notice it when we're walking around our neighborhood and people will stop and talk and how's it going or are you feeling all right? Is everybody in your family doing well? So there's that sense of support, even from strangers that people are seeking and people are afraid. And this is the wonderful thing about the gospel. We have nothing to fear. Christ has come to set us free. His perfect love casts out fear. And what people want to know what the Bible says. And I noticed that people were picking up books like What the Bible Says About. We had that out by Mark Finley. And people are really interested to know. So I just wanted to go to this uh, quotation here from nine volume of the testimonies. In visions of the night, representations passed before me of a great reformatory movement among God's people. Many were praising God, the sick were healed, and other miracles were wrought. A spirit of intercession was seen, even was, as was manifested before the great day of Pentecost. Hundreds and thousands were seen, visiting families and opening before them the word of God. I just want to pause and say, if that's the case, then that means the door will remain open for us to do door-to-door -door work and we will continue to be able to meet with people in homes, as apparently for close to as, time, as long as time lasts. She continues, hearts were convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit and a spirit of conversion was manifest on every side. Doors were thrown open to the proclamation of the truth. The world seemed to be lightened with the heavenly influence. Great blessings were received by the true and humble people of God. I heard voices of thanksgiving and praise, and there seemed to be a reformation such as we witnessed in 1844. That's still future. Hasn't happened yet, but it, we could be on the brink of it. So with this in mind, my prayer partner and I were eager to think of Let's not let, the, let this sag since we've just had these meetings. What will we do next? So I've actually had started a Bible study prior to, with two ladies prior to COVID, and we've continued that throughout, and we're continuing to do that. And through that contact, God has um, opened up an opportunity for us to start a community garden near um, where we're giving the Bible study at a high school. It was just 
neglected and now we have the opportunity to go there. In addition, we're continuing to do our music ministry, but now we go and stand at the house outside and sing in through the window as we're all spaced apart. But it can still be done. In fact, the chaplain said, this is wonderful. Now you can come and sing outside the hospital and walk around to the windows and sing in the windows. So there's still ways we can minister and it's fun to be creative and think of what that might be. Another thing that has followed on, you remember there were three requests for Bible studies from our health series, and they have already begun uh, this week, Thursday night. They started meeting in a doctor's office, an Adventist doctor's office lobby, where they're having Bible studies, and I'm very excited about that. So ongoing in the future, we'd like to do, we liked this format a lot, because if you advertise Bible only, we get a smaller group coming. But when you have the health, that is the right arm of the gospel. So we just want to continue to combine the, this. And one of the ladies who, in fact, she was uh, the sponsor of the high school group that I had told you about where we were doing the Bible group there. And she said her favorite part of the series was the Bible talks because she really appreciated the historical perspective on why we were doing what we were doing. So I, I, we were planning to continue doing the health and what we may end up doing is one uh, once a week but we're still going to work with our church board to decide what everyone wants to do so a question for you and for me is in the times like these what is in our hand what has god given us the opportunity to do i already just mentioned to you about the community garden here we have it just started. It turns out our retired pastor has a wonderful green thumb. So we've been out, we've helped him uh, get the, the raised beds together. And my daughter was organizing the old um, tool shed. There's a greenhouse in the background. There's so much that is potential there. And what we're wanting to do next year when we start with everything ready to go is bring in the people who've been getting food from the food pantry and teaching them how to grow food. And we'll have classes here at the garden. It's, it's central to where everyone comes and they can learn how to grow food because we want to educate people not just to be dependent but to be able to be more self-sustaining. Oh, there was another, um, yeah, a couple more here. Uh, this, uh, th this, these pictures show some other opportunities for being involved. One um, is at the Amen Clinic that we had, uh, someone taking blood pressure there. Another one, the young lady with carpet on the floor. There's a ministry called Build and Restore that all they're going around and doing is Isaiah 58 ministry to raise up the old foundations and restore and rebuild. And there's a lot of uh, buildings, even within our church, that are fallen into disrepair. And volunteers go and help uh, bring bring these things back up to code or, or to spruce them up. It's really a blessing. So that's another way we can be Christ's hands and feet in our world. And then of course, also having people to our home. Now another opportunity we've had in our community is uh, there's been a, a push to have commercial cannabis operation growing in our, in our town and there's a big push against it. So we've had many town hall meetings with packed in, this was before COVID, with hundreds of people there. So I first of all tried my, put my feet in the water by going up to the city um, 
county board of supervisors meetings and there were a bunch of people there wanting to grow this and so I spoke to the county board of supervisors after everyone had made their pitch for growing hemp in our county and I suggested that they needed to grow food not marijuana because in the future things were going to get tough and where we're located it might be hard for the trucks to get food to us. Well, then that continued in a much larger scale when our community was having these meetings and they were back and forth. And I again stood up and said, disasters are happening in our country. We need to be prepared. We should be growing food, not marijuana. And then another one, um, in the workplace, uh, my husband works for an income. I work for free. In the workplace, uh, you know, you work with a lot of different people, some who are with secular backgrounds, but I was impressed the other day. He told me he had gotten a text from a doctor who was going through a very difficult time, and the comment was on the text, I wish I had your faith. So sometimes, not even saying a lot, people still see. You know, Paul says we have a fragrance, and the question is, is our fragrance that of Christ? Are we fragrant? Is it something people desires to be, desire to be around? Or is it a turnoff? So we pray that Christ will be in us and we would smell sweet for him. Our motivation in keeping the Ten Commandments. There's quite a bit I could go through, but as we were thinking about sharing with others, a new motivation has occurred to me for, for keeping God's commandments. And that is treasuring his law in order to be a blessing to others. And we want to be, the, the Bible says, the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into eternal life or everlasting life. So we want to be that fountain of blessing to people. And the motivation to keep God's law is to really think of how would this impact others. And then we're also counseled that as the Holy Spirit opens to you the truth, you will long to speak to others. And it really is true that when you see something that's so precious and you're excited, you want to share it. Well, along the lines of the seven, uh, Ten Commandments, someone came to me and said, I've had it with my husband. I'm going to divorce him. He has this addiction and that addiction and the other addiction and this woman and he's been lying to me and there's so many things that are not right and I've given it everything I can and I'm just telling you I've already gone to talk to the lawyer and I want to get a divorce. And so I said, this does sound terrible and I had heard before from her what she was going through and I said, you know, the one thing, I just want you to consider something, and I, and I totally understand you wanting to divorce him, but I said, Jesus loves your husband very much, and you are probably the only person in the world who cares enough about him to pray for him. And if you, if you leave him and give up on him, then there won't be anyone else to do that. And I said, can you think of anything that you've ever done that was wrong to him? Or has it all been him doing stuff wrong to you? She said, well, actually I've gotten pretty mad because of the things he's done. I've let him have it. I said, okay, well maybe you can try this. Why don't you go to him and tell him that you're sorry for when you've been angry? So she said, mm, I'll think about that. Well, a little bit later she came back to me and she said, Patty, she said, I went to my husband and we had this conversation and, 
and I told him that I'm really sorry for what I've said to him and I've been angry a lot and she said it was unbelievable as she started to speak his whole face changed and his countenance softened and from that point God began healing their marriage later he was baptized now he's helping out assisting and uh, volunteering for ministry it's a wonderful testimony of what God can do through other centered love as we interpret the commandments in that way so the commandments of course bear out the truth that the law of life is to live is to give so Jesus came to live for others to give his life for us and we also are called to do the same well another thought that we have here is the Bible tells us that in Romans 5:18, this is moving from the commandments to more of the foundation for what has happened here in this world because of sin in Romans 5:12, it says that just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin death spread to all men because all sin it sounds kind of like the coronavirus coronavirus entered through one person now it's spreading to everywhere that's what sin did but there was nobody who was immune we all got it in Adam so there was a real problem because when Adam sinned condemnation was uh, placed upon the whole human race Adam sinned and we were all um, the unwitting um, we also experienced those consequences even though we didn't participate in that choice so in Romans 5:18, Paul explains that therefore as through one man's offense judgment came to all men resulting in condemnation even so through one man's righteous act the free gift came to all men resulting in justification of life so this is pretty amazing but this particular scripture has been one that people have pondered over quite a bit what does this mean well when Jesus came in Luke 4 of 18 we find that he is announcing his ministry and his mission I think this took place in Nazareth his hometown that's where he announced his ministry and he was quoting from the prophet Isaiah the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor sent me to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed so I put those two things together that Jesus brought justification of life to the whole human race it says while we had been condemned in Adam he also here says he came to proclaim liberty to the captives so what G what Adam did was he locked us up in prison and what Jesus did the free gift that came on all men is that while we were still sinners Christ opened the door of the prison we weren't back there and standing in line to do good things and convince him to open the door no the door is open so now when we go out and we work with people who are struggling or if we ourselves are struggling with something remember that God has already opened that door he's already made us free in Christ and there's no reason for anyone to stay enslaved what Satan has done is he has decorated the prison he's strung lights he has rooms with different activities and to keep people very occupied and distracted so they don't look and see the light of heaven's love streaming through that open door 
as ambassadors for Christ's love, what we want to do is come alongside those who are in the prison and say, look, the door is open. You don't have to do anything. Let me just walk alongside you and let's walk toward the light. Because justification by faith, experiencing it, is simply walking in the light and not staying in that prison house. So we have incredible good news for everyone. They don't have to do something to open that door. They don't have to struggle because Jesus has already won the victory. It's an incredible thought. And I think if we can grasp this in a way and communicate it in a way the world can understand, quickly the gospel will go to the world because it's such incredible good news. People are struggling and they don't need to because the door, Christ is the door and he has opened the way. Praise God. So that brings me to the next thought in the spirit of prophecy. We read that justification by faith is the third angel's message in verity. And justification by faith, in another place she says, is the work of God and laying the glory of man in the dust. So Jesus himself laid his glory in the dust. When he came in Philippians 2, it describes how he had he had the command of the angels and shared the throne of heaven with the Father and he humbled himself, took the form of a servant and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. He went as low as you can possibly go and that's where we find our Savior, not up here at the top calling down and looking down at us. He came down to where we are. It reminds me of a story of uh, the Chilean miners. Do you remember that story when their mine kind of caved in and the access was cut off to the outside world? And there was so, a couple of months these men were down there and they had to make this way, uh, a, drill a new hole, it was very risky. And finally, someone was able to go and descend in a tube all the way down to that hole where they were. and. Uh, release those captives and bring them up one by one. It's another picture that God has given us. If we watch all around us, there's evidences of what his deliverance. They didn't make the whole. They could not make a way of escape, but others, like God, provided that way of escape. Another story more recently was the Thai soccer team that got lost in the cave. They too were hopelessly lost in a pit in that prison house. They were locked up, and yet at a very, ri very big risk, the rescuers came through, one died. Christ came at an infinite risk in order to save us, and he was successful. And notice, every single one of those Thai soccer players, they were brought out safely, miraculously. And that's what God has done for the human race. We just don't want to jump back down in the pit after he's gone to so much effort to save us. Well, there's another topic, um, another group of people that we want to try and reach. We've been talking about our work associates, our neighbors, our community. What other group might we think about? Who have we been overlooked so far? This one comes very close to home. Praying for our children. You know, uh, I don't know any parent who's been, that I'm close enough that they would share this with me, 
who hasn't had some concerns over the salvation of their children. Those of us who have known the Lord have raised our children to the best of our ability, but once they're grown, we can look back and all of a sudden, uh, it doesn't seem like we did quite, a good, quite as good of a job as we thought. And there are times when we're brought to our knees in tears and we pray. And I don't know about you, but when we start to claim God's promises, then we, there's thoughts that come. But I just want to read, and I want to just share with you what I've experienced. And I will um, read now in Isaiah 49, 25. But thus says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away, and the prey of the terrible be delivered. For I will contend with him who contends with you, and I will save your children. A lot of people right now, their children are, have been enslaved by the enemy, and the devil has come in through a back door or some other place that we didn't know to secure our house. And the devil found access to our children, and it has brought untold grief to our hearts and concern, will our children be saved or will they be lost? So I love our children. We're blessed with four wonderful children, and yet my mother's heart still longs for their salvation to know that they are rooted and grounded and surrendered for eternity with him. So when I was reading this promise, the thought came to me, you can't claim that promise because you didn't do everything you should have. You know you messed up. Well, the first thing is, yes, I have, and I did, and I see it more clearly now. And as we've discovered that, I've also confessed to our children, you know, I recognize some of your struggles and here's where it came from. And I want to ask your forgiveness. And we're just praying together, God will heal us all and heal us as families. That's his desire. But when that thought comes to me, you can't pray that because you're not good enough or because maybe God can't answer it because you messed up. The thought came to me, where, is it, where does this come from? Is this is this God? Did he tell me not to claim this promise? I don't think so. So I think this came from the devil. So I want to claim this in faith. And then worst case scenario, maybe one of our children or more are not in heaven. Will God say, see, I told you so. You shouldn't have claimed that promise. No, that's not the God we serve. In fact, we need to take his promises for whatever is on our hearts and claim them with assurance and faith. Have the faith of Jesus that he will fulfill his promise, believe it, and treat them accordingly. And that was for me. All right, another thought. The testimony of Jesus is something that we read about in Revelation 19. 10, um, here they that have the, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. We also see it in Revelation 12, 17. Um, here are they that keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. And we read in 1 John 5, 14 and 15, what that testimony is. But before I read that, I want you to consider something. If Jesus were here today, suppose he had been here during Sabbath school in person, and we asked him to share his testimony, what do you think he would do? What is the testimony of Jesus? 
And I think if he were to stand up here and, and share, he would tell about the decision he made before he ever created this earth to save us at any cost to himself and how he saw each one of us beforehand and he loved us so much and he would tell personally his story of what it was like. So, yes, the testimony of Jesus is this, the, yeah, is the spirit of prophecy, but I think the spirit of prophecy, the purpose is to reveal to us his story, his testimony. And just think of it that way. And in 1 John 5, 14, we read, I'm sorry, verse 10, starting, He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. And this is the testimony, the testimony of Jesus, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. That's a summary of the testimony of Jesus. He's given us everything that he possibly could. And he who has the son has life. He who does not have the son, God forbid, does not have life. Let's pray that none of us would despise that gift. Now, in Revelation 14, we have said that the message of justification by faith and verity is the third angel's message. I can't leave the scripture, as we're learning how to present our message to, uh, personally to people, can't leave this without reading the third angel's message. In verse 9 of chapter 14, it says, Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, who worship the beast in his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. In Revelation 8, it talks about smoke being uh, smoke from the incense of the altar ascending with our prayers. What does what I just have to do, read, have to do with justification by faith? People usually say, oh, it's those who have the patience of the saints and keep the commandments of God. There's the justification by faith, but I think we can find it here. Watch closely. They are tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. You know, when things are all wrapped up, people are going to have the scales removed from their eyes and they're going to see the testimony of here and see the testimony of Jesus and that he gave his life for us and that is said uh, in Romans 12 it says if be not overcome by e by evil but overcome evil with good because that will be like coals of burning fire heaped on their head well here we find that people experience this revelation of the testimony of Jesus as being torture and that the smoke of their torment the testimony of their witness will be forever sealed as to how good God was and yet how sad it will be for them to have chosen to despise that gift so they will have no rest or day or night but we today have a message to give the world 
The justification by faith will be preached. One way or another, people will get the message, but we want them to understand what Christ has done for all now and that they would receive him. So I'm just thrilled by this message. And um, there's those who have gone before who have been an inspiration to me. We've mentioned our dear brother Fred, who's no longer with us, but we see that we are close to the borders of the heavenly Canaan. And we know that that resurrection morning comes soon. We don't want anyone to experience the mark of the beast of trying to save yourself when Jesus has given us this amazing gift. So there's an uh, old hymn, there's a land that is fairer than day, and by faith we can see it afar. Though the Father waits over the way, in the sweet by and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore and Christ shall receive his reward. Will you please bow your heads in prayer with me? Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you for the gift of Jesus, his unfathomable love. I pray for our hearts to be broken up and to be a soil where your love can work its way through and that you would put in our hearts a desire to win souls, to forget about ourselves. Maybe we'll be saved, maybe we will be lost. It doesn't feel we can't go by our feelings but lord i pray that that would not be our main concern so much as to be a blessing and a witness for you we thank you in jesus name amen